Fontana rolling out the right, looking toward the end zone, throwing under pressure, throws his pass. Caught by Clark. Clark got a touchdown. Troy Clark has it. It's a touchdown for the 49ers. You're now listening to the 4th and Gold Podcast with Javi and Matt. Welcome to the 4th and Gold Podcast. We are back with a week one preview. 49ers versus Tampa Bay. The 49ers travel to Tampa and take on the Bucks and Hurricane Dorian. Hopefully not on the Dorian side. Hmm. Uh, Matt, what's going on? Dude, meaningful football is back my man we are recording wednesday night so by the time you guys are hearing this football's happening today it is awesome i am so ready for this stuff to be back <laughs> and you know second straight year the niners are traveling to tampa bay we got hope for a better performance than they had last year but uh to to give us our tampa bay side of stuff um since we're not experts on the bucks we don't claim to be experts on the bucks we're gonna bring in trevor sikkim of the draft network uh trevor how you doing man i'm doing good you guys need to not bring up hurricane games to me because <laughs> Like two years ago, they had a hurricane game, and it was this big ordeal where they had to move the game, and week one was messed up, and then they didn't have a bye week. So you bringing up uh, potential week one hurricane things, which is not going to happen. Dorian is is far away, so they'll be fine for this game. But you just gave me like PTSD talking about hurricane games in week <laughs> one. So thankfully, that's not the case this week. All right, so Trevor, go ahead and plug yourself, man. Where can everybody find you? Sure. Um, Getting off right at the beginning of the podcast. I like it. At Tampa Bay Trey, T-R-E, is where you can find me on Twitter. It's where a lot, I do a lot of my shenanigans and where I post all of my writings for pewterreport.com, which is where I cover the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their beat reporter, and as well as I do a lot of draft stuff for the draftnetwork.com. Awesome team over there that I'm working with year-round covering college football in the NFL draft. So if it happens to be the case, any Bucks or 49ers fans that are listening and um, – the season doesn't go as planned. We got you over the draft network. You know, just just come on over. We'll tell you who your team could be drafted. And I'm guilty of already using the mock draft uh, simulator. Oh, it's like sexy, yesterday. isn't it? Oh, I it's love it. It's really that nice. Thing. I love Very that well thing. done. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> Very well done. Um, we can find our we can find us Fourth and Gold podcast on Twitter at Fourth and Gold, and then of course anywhere podcasts are found: Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Spotify, iTunes. Um, Trevor, you know it's uh, change of the head coach. Bruce Arians, Kango, Bruce, uh, how are you feeling about the state of the Tampa Bay Bucks going into week one? It's a lot different than what it was last year and, you know, the year before as well. Dirk Cutter, I think that he had a lot of really good intentions. Um, I think he might have even had a really good plan. Well, good plan. I don't want to say really good because it obviously didn't work out. But I think there were reasons to believe in him as a head coach. But the thing is, is that first-time head coach with – a defense and a defensive coordinator and connections in the NFL that really let him down. It just didn't come out to wins. And that was, I think, what the thing was at the end of the day. They had so many coaching blunders that were the reasons why they lost so many games that they shouldn't have last year that they really, despite having a top five offense and really back-to-back seasons, 
they had to move on from Cutter. It, it had to be different. The leadership was not where it wanted it, it needed to be in order for them to win enough football games to turn the ship around and, and get to the playoffs, possibly compete for a Super Bowl. And so they made the change when they saw the window. Bruce Arians, his connection with general manager Jason Light, that was nothing that was hidden. It wasn't a secret. That's the reason. Yeah. That's a big reason why Bruce is back out of retirement because he knew that he would have a familiar relationship at the top. The ownership has basically given Bruce the green light to do whatever he wants. He hired his dream coaching staff, getting a lot of his guys back together. And it's an experienced coaching staff. And I think, you know, to your to your original question, that's the biggest difference, and that's what it looks like going into week one for the Buccaneers. Things in training camp looked a lot more controlled. The goal was a lot more about winning than it was, I don't know, staying healthy or little roster spots or whatever. All of those things are details that go under the umbrella of winning, setting up a winning culture, being expected to win games. And I think Arians is instilling that in some of these guys right now. And that just wasn't something that I think they said it last year, but they didn't really believe it or they didn't do the things that led to them believing it for for them to become a winning franchise. And I think that's what's different this year. Whether or not it'll exactly happen all the way here in 2019, we'll have yet to see. It'll get kicked off uh, against the 49ers, but that's what the big difference is to me. The experience in the coaching staff, how they went about training camp, and where I think this team and these players are mentally going into the year and the focus how they are going into week one. I think that's that's the big difference here for Tampa. Yeah, I actually think that the, the Bucks and the 49ers had a lot of similarities last year, um, just in the fact that the 49ers couldn't close games either. And, and, you know, they really got to the fourth quarter and they would just kind of fall apart. And it'd be one massive turnover, one you know, one key turnover, one, right. one just missed assignment on defense and it just completely flipped the game and it just felt like it was out of reach after that. Um, so, you know, third year for the Kyle Shanahan regime. John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, they're entering their third year. They finally seem like they have all their pieces together. You know, everybody thought last year that was their year to do it. And then, you know, of course, Jimmy goes down and everything just kind of goes off the rails from there. So outside perspective, how do you view the 49ers and where they're at right now? No, I think the 49ers have a lot of talent. I think that they've got the people in the right position, whether it's at the top with Lynch, uh, whether it's a head coach with Kyle Shanahan. They have the quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. He's just got to stay healthy. I think they've got a nice running game to complement what they want to do in the passing game. I think they've got a solid offensive line, especially the guys at tackles. They've built themselves a pretty stout defensive line, man, and that's you know, I'm sure that we'll talk about that at some point in this podcast, but D4, Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, I'm a Sheldon Day truther, so him being on the <laughs> roster is is something that I love to see. They hit a home run getting Fred Warner where they did as one of the best young linebackers in the game, I think. Talk to him. You know, and so I, I, I think that I, it's, it's all there for the 49ers. And when I say that it's all there, I don't necessarily mean like this is a Super Bowl team. You know, there, I think there are rosters in the NFL that are better and more experienced, more poised in the postseason to make that longer run. But I think that when I say that it's all there, what I mean is that this team can compete against any team in the NFL, I think, any given week. And it's to be seen whether or not the experience, whether the timing is right this year, whether the chemistry between play callers and players is there. But I would hope that for the 49ers' sake, because they seem like a team that's going to be a lot of fun, I hope a lot of these guys stay healthy this year because if nothing else, this is a really promising regime. This is something that, uh, like I said, this could be a very fun team to watch. 
they've just got to get some chemistry down with one another. They've got to get some consistency in in the roster and what they're doing. Starts in week one. Not sure how they'll look. You know, I can have a lot of faith in this roster, but there's also things about the Bucks roster that I like. In reality, man, it's just like college football like we watched a couple of weeks ago. You never know what's going to happen in week one. You've been training. Mm-hmm. You've been going up against yourselves the whole time. I mean, preseason, sure, I, I, I get that that's a little bit of action, but let's face it. You know, you're playing one half of football, basically, <clears throat> the entire preseason. The rest of it, you're just going up against yourself. So you get the other team going 100% coming for your throat right off the bat. You never know what's going to happen. Week one's always a crazy time, and I think it's a really interesting matchup with two teams who have a lot of promise on both sides of the ball in certain areas. I'd actually give the nod to the 49ers roster. I think they're a more complete roster. I think that they're better top to bottom and at least put in better positions than I would say the Buccaneers are. But that's kind of the way that I view it. I think there's a lot of really nice key pieces, and they're going to be a lot of fun to watch if they're healthy. Yeah, you have uh, a more positive outtake on the Niners and uh, than some of the podcasts I heard today in preparing for, you know, speaking to you today, I was listening to a whole bunch of Bucks um, podcasts and they were like, no, Niners aren't, you know, very good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, you know, I appreciate the honesty with the Niners roster. Yeah, they, they, they have a lot of things there. You know, I don't expect a Super Bowl either, um, but at least hopefully in the mix come December for, you know, meaningful football. Um, but in talking about the defensive line, I really wanted to talk to you about the um, Tampa Bay offensive line. Mm-hmm. Donovan Smith, Alex Kappa, uh, DeMar Dotson, Ryan Jensen, and Ali Marpet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this. if I'm the 49ers defensive line, I'm looking at this front offensive line for the Bucks, and I'm licking my chops. Because yeah. we saw what happened against the Browns, three of the four series, five sacks. Um, and I, I, I think the Browns have a little bit better you know, talent or more proven talent than the Niners do at the edge positions um, outside of D Ford. Where do you, how do you foresee that? How do you foresee the offensive line holding up against this Niner pass rush? Or are they going to go max protect with OJ Howard from what I understand or from what I've seen with um, Bruce Arians in his time in Arizona? He doesn't really like to max protect. He likes to have the tight end flex out and also, you know, run uh, some routes just to give his quarterback a, you know, a bailout option. Uh, where, do, where do you stand on that coming into this game? Yeah, I, I we record a pod. Yeah, Peter report. We record a podcast immediately after every single game, and after the Browns game, the number one talking point that I had to say is that if this Bucks offensive line plays the way that they did against Cleveland in Week One against that 49ers D line, they're going to lose. It does not matter what else happens throughout the game. I mean, you know, barring. The 49ers offense just going catastrophic with turnovers, maybe. But if they play that way against and 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 here's the thing, that was the last time we saw the Bucks starting offensive line, right? I mean, they didn't play in Week Four, so the last yeah. time we saw them, the last time they all played e- with each other against a different opponent was against the Browns, and they look like crap. If they come out and play <laughs> like that against this 49ers defensive line, they will lose the game, no question about it. That is where I think. That, that really holds the key because that's the area in which I said before, I like a lot of different things on each team's roster. I think that you can find certain areas where you go, okay, there's a little bit of an advantage for that team. Or, okay, th- here's how this team might be able to counter it. Here's could, something that they could do. Here's a matchup that I really like for this team. It's with the 49ers defensive line and the Buccaneers offensive line that I think could swing the barn door wide open if Tampa's offensive line doesn't play well. That's the area in which I think it has the biggest impact that could go away from a, 
neck and neck back and forth thing with strengths and weaknesses that each have on the roster. So it's a really big deal. And, you know, getting into your second part of the question, when you said, what are Bruce Arians going to do? He talked about, we asked him about that earlier this week, and he talked about getting the ball out of Winston's hands pretty quickly. He said, that's just something that you're going to have to do against this pass rush. Whether you're blocking well or not, you're going to have to get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. So there's two ways. Well, there's two ways that you could basically have that kind of a thing happen. You could either go six or seven man protections, keeping a running back in the game, keeping a tight end on on the inline, or you could basically just go empty, you know, or or four wide, something like that. And so I actually think that Bruce is going to, I think I'm with you. I think Bruce is going to opt to go four wide, put more wide receivers on the field, and have more routes designed to get that ball out of Jameis' hands quickly, whether it's screens, drag routes, um, ins or outs, slants, whatever it may be, quick hit stuff behind zone coverage if they're playing zone and they can notice it in the pre-snap, stuff like that. I think that they're going to get the ball out of his hands more quickly in that way rather than say, hey, we're going to hold on to the ball more, we're going to put more guys in to protect than keeping the routes longer and more vertical. We know that Bruce Arians likes to be a vertical head coach on offense, but I don't think week one is where we're really going to see a lot of those seven-step drops and these long developing routes. They're going to need to get that ball out of their hands pretty quick. So I think two of the key players that they're going to try and get their, their the ball into their hands is going to be, in my eyes, the best tight end duo in all of football. Um, I think holding on to Cameron Braid this offseason was a, it was a very smart move by, by the Buccaneers. And you pair him with O.J. Howard, who's back healthy again this year. Um, and they're going up against, you already mentioned Fred Warner. Um, and then, you know, coming in, Quan Alexander revenge game. The return. You know, he's coming, the he's return. coming back to Tampa Bay after coming off torn ACL. Mm-hmm. From all reports out of, out of Santa Clara, he seems like he's healthy. He played in the third preseason game. He looks fast. So I think that matchup between Quan Alexander and Fred Warner and then O.J. Howard and, and Cameron Bray is going to be is going to be huge in, in this game. And I think you know, how do you see how do you see those matchups playing out? Yeah, it's going to be it, it's it's going to be a big deal for both teams, right? I mean, we asked Arians earlier this week the flip side of that question. How are you going to cover George Kittle, right? And so he <laughs> said, you know, you you've got to it's not just one guy. And I think that Kyle Shanahan would have that same kind of an answer for what do you do against O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray? It can't just be one guy, right? Because if you try to let it be one guy, they're either not going to be able to handle it because these guys are freak receivers or something else is going to be compromised in the offense and they're going to figure it out and there's going to be a hole somewhere. So, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's tough. To, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's tough to cover O.J. Howard, man. I, I've mm-hmm. said this. You know, I was on I was on Safane's football podcast earlier this summer and people were asking me about O.J. and like oh you know is is OJ in for a breakout year and I keep telling him look the only one who's in the way of OJ Howard having a thousand yard season is OJ Howard if he stays healthy it's guaranteed that's I mean that's you can't cover this guy for for too long whether there are so many different route combinations that he could run and it takes such a rare linebacker or safety to really be able to lock him down that it's almost one of those things where it says okay we, not, we might not be able to stop him completely. Let's just contain him. Let's keep everything in front of us. Let's not let OJ get a ton of yards after the catch because we know he can do that. Same thing with Cameron Bray. And I think that's a good focus for a defense going into playing the Buccaneers offense. If you don't let them get yards after the catch, 
you make things a little bit more difficult. You force Winston to complete more throws. You force him to be a little bit more perfect, if you will. And I think that involves with with the tight end game as well. So when it comes to how they're going to cover him, it's tough to have an answer. Because I've tried to see the Bucs in practice do it with linebackers. I've tried to see other teams do it with different linebackers. Playing zone, he'll find the soft spot. Because, and you said there, that one-two punch, OJ Howard can't be covered in man coverage. And it's almost like Cam Brait can't be covered in zone. Cam Brait is so good at finding soft spots in the zone that if mm-hmm. both of those guys are on the field at the same time, one of them's going to be open, depending on what defense you call. Because there's only two kinds of defense you call, right? It's either man or zone. And yeah. both of these guys are so good at dismantling each in their own right. And so, man, it, it, we have yet to really see how they're going to utilize two tight ends completely because it is a different offense, and Cambrate has been hurt for a lot of the preseason. But now we're going to be able to see how much they're going to roll out both of those guys. And if they're playing those four wide receiver sets, five wide receiver sets, you're going to see a lot of both of them on the field at the same time, and that's never good for any defense. No, definitely not. <clears throat> and, you know, with George Kittle and O.J. Howard, they had similar combines, and, you know, it's crazy. One goes in the first round and one goes in the fifth. And we talked about it last time. <clears throat> George Kittle, yeah, George, George Kittle <laughs> goes in the fifth because of C.J. Beathard, essentially. Um, you know, to your with the with the Bucks, um, you know, there's things to like, and you know, the, I think the biggest thing to like about the Bucks is their wide receiver core. I do like um, Chris Godwin out of Penn State. Of course, Mike Evans, he's there. Brashad Perryman, um, and then of course the two tight ends. Um, you know, the Niners secondary is you know that's the biggest question. For a lot of Niners fans, um, where does how do you where do you feel Chris Godwin would um, is he going to does he benefit more um, playing in that short intermediate area or is he more of a deep threat now that Deshaun Jackson is gone? Yeah, so Chris is really going to be like a complete wide receiver too. I think um, yeah. the analytics and and I was I was looking over him this summer show that man Winston just struggles throwing it deep down the field to the sidelines. Mm-hmm. I think Deshaun Jackson was was a decent part of that problem because Deshaun would he would practice at one speed and then he played games at another and Jameis really just couldn't get it down with Deshaun Jackson so a decent amount of blame has to go there but even beyond Deshaun Jackson Jameis just it was hard for he's never been the most pinpoint accurate guy right he's a big game thrower he's a deep ball passer he's never afraid to try to throw it in a window or deep down the field or things like that but even when he was at Florida State his wide receivers were bailing him out a little bit, you know, and, and mm-hmm. making him look good at times. But he's never afraid to give him a shot, right? That's the that's what you love about the quarterback because a lot of the times the risk is worth it. Here in the NFL, Dirk Cutter was asking Jameis Winston to throw some of the most difficult passes in the game, which are nine routes fading out of bounds 20 to 30 to 40 yards down the field. And he just struggled with it. He just struggled to be consistent putting it exactly where it needed to go. So in that sense, I think they're gonna. I think the Bucks know that too, and they're gonna play a lot more stuff over the middle and bringing all that back around to Chris Godwin. What Arians did before he left Arizona is he really started to get on the forefront of playing your best receivers in the slot. He mm-hmm. did it a lot with Larry Fitzgerald, right? He did it around the time when Larry Fitzgerald was playing in the slot, going up against a third corner before teams really started to rotate what they did on the defensive backside. Atlanta did the same thing with Julio Jones for a while. Pittsburgh's done the same thing with 
Juju Smith-Schuster, right? And Antonio as well. Antonio obviously made his <clears throat> made his headlines that we get to read about every week now from, <laughs> from being a slot monster. But I think that Chris Godwin's going to play a lot over the middle, whether it's starting on the outside, cutting to the inside, or even starting as a slot receiver. They're going to utilize this guy in a, in a real mismatch way however they can. And so it's I'm not exactly – maybe you guys can, can – shed a little bit more light onto this because if if San Francisco doesn't exactly rotate their corners very well, I'll just say this. Mike Evans has cooked Richard Sherman the last two times they've met. Two yeah. two years yep. ago two years ago it was in Tampa when he was still with the 49 or Seattle. Seattle. It, was it yeah. two years ago, three years ago? Something like that. Yeah. When he was still with Seattle, he cooked them for two touchdowns. And last year, I mean there was a play where when they were one on one Mike burned him so far down the sideline on a nine route. You know, it's it's like it wasn't even close. And so unless San Francisco can really rotate their corners, they're going to put Mike on Rich again. So that's just the way that it's going to be. And then Akilah Witherspoon is going to have to try to find a way to really cover Chris Godwin by himself. And so far it's been a really tough task for anybody who's tried to cover Chris Godwin by themselves. Yeah, I think that the the strength of the, obviously the strength of 49ers defense lies in the defensive line, and I think their ability to get pressure is going to take a lot of well, pressure off of the secondary. Uh, because I mean, last year when you're throwing out guys like Cassius Marsh as your edge defenders, I mean, you're not getting a whole lot of pressure off the edge. And if DeForest Buckner can't be a double team every play, which I mean, granted he did an awful lot last year because he had 12 sacks. Um, yeah, I think that's going to help. You are right that Mike Evans has Richard Sherman's number, and he's one of the few wide receivers that has had it consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the last guys I remember having his number consistently was Stevie Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys that can say throughout their career they've been consistently successful against Richard Sherman. Um, you're absolutely right. They're, they're going to have to make some sort of adjustments in the secondary, whether that's just straight up playing a safety over the top of Mike Evans every play or close to every play. You know, I, I don't hate that move. If you want to take away the home run ball and make make Jameis Winston beat you with accurate throws, it's not the worst strategy they have. Um, but let's let's jump to the other side of the ball um, in, in the Bucks defense. Mm-hmm. Um, the 49ers have revamped their wide receiver core. You know we're, we're going to see we're going to see Marquise going back out there healthy again. You're going to see Dante Pettis. You're going to see Debo Samuel, who was pretty impressive in the preseason and throughout the draft process. Um, I'm really hyped on Debo Samuel. I think he's going to. He's gonna be a stud. He's he's my he's my guy to break out for the 49ers this year. Um, and then you know, of course, like you said, George Kittle. How, how does the how does the Bucks secondary handle the offensive weapons on on San Francisco? Yeah, this is another area that I would tip my cap to San Francisco and say they have the advantage because there's just a lot of unknown with the Buccaneers. And if Kyle Shanahan is smart about this, he's just gonna mismatch him to death because. On paper, you could look at the Bucks' cornerback situation, and there are things to like, right? I think like Vernon Hargraves is coming into his own. He's a lot more confident this year. He's playing a little yeah. bit better. They're playing him in a much better system, but he's still a little limited, right? I mean, like he's not the fastest guy in the world. So you know, if they put Marquise Goodwin on him, he's probably going to get cooked, you know. So I mean, like it doesn't. It it might not end well for him. And then on the other side, Carlton Davis. They have Carlton Davis. They drafted Carlton Davis to be that physical press coverage kind of a guy. But man, if they put Dante Pettis on him and he's got to, you know, he's got to keep up with some of the quick routes that Dante Pettis can do, I mean, that's advantage Pettis all day. And then inside in the middle, the 
cornerback situation when they're going nickel. They don't exactly know who their full-time nickel is going to be. It looks like right now it's going to be MJ Stewart. And MJ Stewart played in that role last year, struggled a lot. Uh, he just couldn't keep up with guys. And granted, last year they the defense and the defense coordinators weren't really letting them get their hands up on guys. This year they are. Stewart's faring a lot better now that he, he can get more physical with players. But Debo Samuel's no joke, right? So, I mean, like, if they put Debo Samuel or Dante Pettis in the middle, in the slot, and purposefully try to mismatch him with MJ Stewart, oh, boy, that might be a rough day for Stewart. We might start seeing some 2018 tape from Stewart pop up instead of that training camp tape that we saw. So, I think, and that's not even to mention what Jalen Hurd might be for you guys. I'm not sure how much he's he's played or where he's going to be in that rotation. I really like Jalen Hurd coming out. I think it, I thought that was great investment of him from what he showed in his first year as a wide receiver last year at Baylor. But that, all that to say that San Francisco definitely has the personnel to give Tampa secondary some struggles because they're, like, I would say that Carlton Davis is a good press corner. I would mm-hmm. say that he would struggle against speed players. I'd say that Vernon Hargraves is a good overall corner, but if you're elite at one thing, I think you can get the best at him. I would think that Justin or MJ Stewart is good at bump and run, good at getting physical, good at being man situations where you can really press guys in the slot. But if you got good route runners, you know, so everything seems to have a counter for the Bucks secondary, and it seems like the 49ers have the personnel to counter them in almost every way. So if Shanahan's smart about it, if he's good at adjusting it during the game, I think this might be an area where San Francisco could really find themselves in an advantage. Yeah, you know, for for our sake, I hope so. Niners haven't won a road game in a while, so it would be nice to get a you know start the season off with a road win. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about my person, my I, my second favorite player in the draft mm-hmm. uh, this year, Devin White. Oh, okay, um, there you Niners go. have. Wait, Niners who's your have, first favorite player? Uh, Quinn Williams. Oh okay yeah yeah there you go. That's, yeah, it was fair. it was it was, Very it was fair. Williams Williams Devin White and then Bosa that's that was my order and okay. I'm a you know Devin White had the comps of Patrick Willis and all mm-hmm. those things there so mm-hmm. um, that was a big deal for me um, but you know with Devin White you know the guy can go sideline to sideline the Niners run game is predicated on that outside zone um, I wanted to you know I haven't watched much Bucks uh, preseason how does he look? Well, how does he fare against the run game? Um, and is he, you know, going to give Brita and Coleman and, you know, this running game fits? Yeah, so I think that, I'll be honest when I say that I, th- I think that Devin White's been better in practice than he has in preseason games. You know, he's kind of disappeared a little bit in preseason games. But when it comes to defending the run, White's a natural. I mean, this is this is a put this guy on the field, plug and play him, and he'll stop your best running back kind of a thing. This guy can move style into sideline like it's nobody's business. He'll be running in nickel formations next to Levante David, who's a good athlete as well. Yes, he is. So I think that the Bucks have a have a good chance. This is where I'd give the Bucks an advantage against the Niners' backfield, is that they have the athletes at linebacker to really neutralize those outside runs, those home run potential plays, really blow stuff up in that area. Devin White's still learning a little bit in coverage. Um, he's still just recognizing, feeling around the defense, making sure that he knows his spot, whether it's in man or zone. And so he's still, that's a work in progress. I assume that they're going to try to attack him with Kittle as much as they possibly can. But when it comes to filling his run gaps, defending the run, getting in the backfield, and Todd Bowles, let me tell you, he's going to do a lot of A-gap blitzes, and that's going to come with Devin White. And so he's their main man to do all of that. I think he's pretty solid against the run, and he'll get you in the pass too as well. They'll, they'll give him plenty of chances to blitz up the middle. 
Okay, so you mentioned that that, they're, that the linebackers are athletic enough to keep up with the run and might struggle in coverage. So if you know Kyle Shanahan, you know he loves, he loves, loves, loves running play-action rollouts. Mm-hmm. And I think we're finally going to see it. I think they're confident enough in Jimmy's knee that they're able to do it. Is Tim, are, there, are there linebackers going to be a little over-aggressive sometimes and, and hang themselves out to dry if you leak a player like, let's say, a Kyle Juszczyk or a George Kittle or even a Ross Dwelly, you know, some of the players that you don't necessarily key on um, at the beginning of the play. You know, obviously Kittle's on the field. You're all right, keep an eye on 85. Right, right. But Juszczyk's out there. Ross Dwelly's out there. Still pretty good athletes themselves. If they run some, some sort of play-action rollout leak, uh, are they going to be caught with their pants around their ankles? They have the athletes, like I said before, to cover that kinds of stuff. And their third linebacker, I, I will say, is Daniel Buchanan, who is a converted safety linebacker mm-hmm. hybrid guy who has a good amount of coverage to him as well. So with Buchanan and White and Levante David, like they have the guys to cover those kinds of concepts. They just have to not get fooled. I don't think David's going to be a guy who gets fooled very often. And I'll mm-hmm. even say that I don't think Daniel Buchanan's going to be a guy who gets fooled very often. It's going to come down to Devin White. He's got to be in the film room constantly throughout the week, making sure he knows what their setup is, knows when he might be fooled, and he just can't get blown up like that. You know, he just can't give up those big plays because he's overcommitting or things like that. Now, you know, I, I, I will say, sorry to say this, but that's the reason why Quan Alexander was a little bit of a liability when he was in Tampa because mm-hmm. he was a guy who would see ball, get ball, and all of a sudden teams would purposefully run plays to get Quan Alexander to overcommit and then throw either backside or to his zone or a guy going against the grain, something like that. And so, you know, they're hoping that Devin White in this linebacker group is a little bit more organized than that. But it is Devin White's first game in the NFL. So if the, the I, I will say that the opportunity is probably going to be there for him to get fooled a little bit. If the 49ers capitalize on it, that's a different story. Yeah, that's um, hopefully they can capitalize. They have the athletes on offense to do it. But, you know, to your point, the Bucks have the athletes at, at linebacker. And, you know, I, I, I kind of like the safeties um, in Tampa. Um, a lot has been made of Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. You know, one bad practice blows up into a media storm. You know, one bad series in Denver. It's The this, this season's over for the Niners. And, you know, Jameis Winston, Winston has had his troubles um, with Tampa, you know, with his interceptions and, you know, turnover issues and, you know, coaching changes. You know, not everything is his fault. Um, where do you stand on both those quarterbacks going forward? Do you think – Tampa Bay is going to make an investment um, to keep Jameis after this season. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, if he struggles, do you think the Niners move on or do you think they keep this going and, you know, try to work it out? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start with Jimmy. I think Jimmy's got a lot of promise. I really do. And I think that people are kind of getting a little impatient uh, with this. It's it's like, come on, the, the guy the guy missed all of last year. Like, what do you what do you want? You know, it's it's almost as if like they wanted him to progress while he wasn't on the field or something. And it's just like <laughs> you've got to be realistic with situations. You know, you, there I like Jimmy Garoppolo's tape a lot when he was coming out. And so, I still have a, a lot of faith in him to become a pretty good quarterback in this league, really take that next step. And I think this year's a, a, a building block to do it. So, really want him to stay healthy. As stated before, it could be a lot of fun with him at the helm, and I've got faith in at least his talent to where if he is healthy, he can make it happen. Winston, on the other hand, in my opinion, is kind of running out of time. He's been good. I'll say that he has been good enough for them to have won football games that they lost, but at the same time, he has been the reason why they have lost other football games. Winston Mm -hmm. is not the accurate, the pinpoint accurate quarterback 
that sometimes it takes to win in this league. And he's got to be better. He's got to be more consistent. Bucks fans will come at my throat all day long and tell me, <laughs> well, the defense was so bad the last two years. How can you blame Winston? Listen, I'm not saying the defense wasn't a problem. It clearly was. They fired the whole defensive coaching staff and replaced all of it with somebody who is completely different style, okay? They made that change there. But it's also time for Winston to change for the better. Now he goes into his fifth-year option. If Winston was as good as some of these Bucks fans are telling me he is, he wouldn't be playing on the fifth-year option. He'd be playing on a different contract already because GMs aren't stupid. Jason Light isn't stupid. The sooner you sign a quarterback, the better. That's always the way that it is because the next one to do it is going to be a bank breaker. So they would have signed Jameis Winston if they thought that he was the guy. This is the year for him to really prove it. And I think that Bruce Arians being here will be nice for him. It will be a step in the right direction. And it's all just up to Winston to make sure it's getting done. But man, if he struggles again this year, I'm out. Like I'm out on him. That's I mean that's it's been five years now. How much more time could I possibly give you to prove gotcha. that you're different than you were when you were at Florida State? Because as of right now, Jameis Winston's kind of that same guy that he's at Florida State. He's been yeah. better at doing that, but in terms of becoming a whole different NFL quarterback, he hasn't. So that's kind of where I see it. And if I if I can add on real quick, go back five years, the draft. Would you rather had Mariota over Winston? Knowing what you know now? Sure. I'll say this right now. I think both of them went to the right teams. Like, personality-wise, Mariota would not have fit in Tampa Bay. It just wouldn't have worked out. They They needed a big personality guy in Jameis Winston. Now, both of them have struggled. So it's not, yeah. a, I mean, it's not exactly like, oh, would you go back and change it? Not really. I think Mariota stinks now. So, I mean, I think that, Jay, I think that Winston has his problems as a quarterback as well. But, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have any faith in Mariota anymore. And that sucks because going into that 2015 draft, I was, I was in the same boat as everybody else. You can't miss. These are two guys where you can't miss. One and two, doesn't matter. Flip the coin. Pick one, win. That's it. And here we are, man, five years later, almost five years later. And yeah these guys might not even be on their rookie teams anymore after this year. And it's kind of, yeah. it's crazy. It is. Man, I wish we had like one of those like producer guys that I can just point to and he could play a clip because when you were wrapping up that Winston talk, I really just wanted to hear Denny Green yell, they are who we thought they were. Because <laughs> as you were describing them, it's all I could go through in my head and that this just kept rattling around. Um, but let's go back to some of your strengths. So you keep talking about, you watch these guys come out, the rookie classes. So now, now, you know, they're getting ready to start their first NFL game or maybe just play in their first NFL game. How do the rookie classes look compared, you know, from, from when they were drafted in April and everybody gives their immediate report card yeah. to now? Do they look, do the 49ers rookies look better, worse, about, about what we thought? And then the same with the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the 49ers draft class. I mean, Dre Greenlaw has turned out to be a guy who's going to start for them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's slotted to st- start for them. Um, Called it. Mitchell Wisnowski <laughs> laid somebody the hell out in preseason, so yep. you know, like that's always good. Um, Nick Bosa, I loved coming out of the draft. I think he's phenomenal. Him going to a stacked 49ers line already, I really liked. Obviously, he's been hurt, so it's not like we've seen anything from him. Mm-hmm. But Debo Samuel going into it, man, I was a huge Debo Samuel fan. From I, I liked his tape, but really, what put me over the edge is that Senior Bowl performance when he just yeah. could not be covered by anybody. So. Love the pick there. Loved him going to a Kyle Shanahan offense. And I've already told you guys how I really like Jalen Hurd. So, you know, we have yet to see these guys play in real games. And I think that we'll see how they end up playing out. But I like the 49ers class when they were drafted. And so I have to have that same kind of faith going into their first year. On the flip side for the Bucks. 
Devin White is a linebacker, picking a linebacker at five. It's always pretty high for a linebacker, but mm-hmm. he seems to be a guy that they have really needed, right? I, I'm trying to picture what this team would be like without Devin White, and the identity just wouldn't be the same. So in that sense, you know, that's the right pick. Mike Edwards, the safety out of Kentucky, has been a big surprise. Well, surprise for me. I guess the coach, the drafting staff really liked him. He might mm-hmm. be the starter. It, it might be him and Jordan Whitehead who are the two starting safeties against the 49ers. Anthony Nelson, the pass rusher from Iowa, he's been hurt. Haven't seen a lot from him. I got to say, Scotty Miller's been disappointing, as has Jim, as has, uh, their second-round pick, Sean uh, Murphy Bunting. Those guys have been kind of disappointing so far, but regular season, now you get to put the preseason behind him a little bit. And then Jamel Dean, he's looked good, but his tapes always look good. He's just got to stay healthy. Oh, sorry, forgot to mention the biggest one, Matt Gay, their kicker. Fifth-round kicker. <laughs> I mean, if he's kicking the way that he's kicking the preseason, totally worth it. I don't care. Whatever. This team has sucked at kicking for so goddamn long that <laughs> just, like, get somebody who can knock it through the uprights, and it seems like Matt Gay is that guy. Well, that's a plus. No more uh, what's-his-face from, what is Aguayo. it? Aguayo. That's I right. I was really hoping that you weren't going to remember the name. <laughs> I was really hoping. <laughs> um, I'm with you on Mike Edwards. He showed his ass against Penn State in that bowl game, and I was like, damn it, I, I like this kid. He's good, um, man. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, you, we, we had a really good discussion about this game. Um, now it's, it's prediction time. Who comes out on top? You want to give us a score? And, uh, you know, who's going home happy and who's going home unhappy? Sure. Um, I, I think that, you know, I've picked the Bucks to lose correctly so many times uh, over the last, like, five years because they've been so ma- bad that um, I'd be remiss if I didn't pick them to win in one of the chances that I think that they have to win. So I'll say that the Bucks come out on top on this one. I do think it's going to be a close game, though. That offensive line of the Buccaneers, like I said, is going to tell the tale. If they can even hold up a little bit, I think it's a nice little shootout. I think it's 27-24. Tampa comes away with the victory. Um, but, yeah, if, they, if that offensive line can't hold up, it might get ugly. But I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll have faith in them for one week at least, and I'll say that the Buccaneers win. Okay, one more prediction from you. Yes. Last year, the 49ers secondary set a record for the fewest interceptions in the history of a season with two. Oh, wow. So I'm going to ask over, under, or push on two interceptions, the secondary, the 49ers secondary intercepting James Winston. Over, under, push at two. Um, is is my son Jason Barrett playing or no? Uh, by all accounts, he's supposed to play. Okay, well then, if, just for Jason Verrett, I'll call it a push and say you guys get two. <laughs> okay. But that's just for Jason Verrett because I love him so much. I do too. too. Oh man, we we've been we've been talking. If he if he can stay healthy, man, that's that's the guy. Yep, that's the guy in the secondary that can really change things for him. Um, I like your prediction of twenty seven twenty four. I'm going to alter a little bit. I'm going to say twenty seven seventeen. I'm going Niners because I have to be a homer in week there one. You if not, yeah, you see, no you got to you got to do a week one. No one's going <laughs> to listen to this podcast again if I pick the Bucks. So you know, I'm pick I'm picking the 49ers, Um and I do I do think that their defensive line just tears apart the Bucks. Um, offensive line and I don't think they're able to establish the run I think they're caught in a lot of third and longs um I'm also taking a push on the interceptions so yeah I've just got I've got San Francisco 27 Buccaneers 17 and uh it's not a blowout but it's it's a it's a pretty wide 10 points if you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah Matt took my 
score, 27-17 Niners. Um, I think you gotta say a different score. You can't have the same score. I mean, it's well. I, I'm I'm predicting a, a big. Pick, I'm predicting pick, a heavy run game. Pick for twenty. The pick twenty four points or thirty or uh, or right. thirty one. You gotta. Well, pick you know, one. We're taking blowout. 31-14 Niners. Okay. Wow. Okay. There <laughs> we go. In a heavy heavy the Matt disrespect. Game. There we go. There we go. Heavy Matt Breida. Um, push on the interceptions. Um, one for Sherman. Finally gets uh, Evans. Oh boy! And then All right. One for Fred Warner, and uh, Niners come home. Niners, you know, stay on the road. They go to Cincinnati next week. Um, but the Niners, for you know, me and Matt have been discussing the Niners season a lot. Um, for the Niners to even be considered a playoff team, they have to start relatively fast. And you know, not to be disrespectful to Tampa Bay, but this is a winnable game for the Niners. And same thing mm-hmm. with Cincinnati. These games are important for the season to you know for them to get into that. You know, going into December with six wins, and then you can finish off strong. So these two are ideal to get. Um, so they they have to get one of these two or both of them to be relevant come December. And you know that's my big thing: be relevant come December, be in a playoff hunt come December. They have to get these two. Yeah, I mean I, that's that's it. It's two and zero is how they have to start if the 49ers want to make the playoffs this year. There's there's no question about it. Um, but hey. Trevor, this is awesome. We're going to have to have you back on because you were so overtly positive about the 49ers and, <laughs> and the other people we've had on have, have been not so nice. So everyone's going to love having you on. So please go ahead and plug yourself again. Let everybody know where they can find you and your work. Listen, I'm an optimist, all right? It's week one, guys. Come on. you got to be able to believe in stuff. Have some joy. There's all you got all off-season and season to be negative, you know? So, or at least that's me speaking to somebody who's covered Tampa Bay for a long time. Um, my Twitter handle, again, at Tampa Bay Trey. T-R-E is how it ends there. You find all my work covering the Bucks at Peter Report and all my draft stuff over at the Draft Network. And, yeah, guys, thanks so much for having me on. We'll have to do this again. Really appreciate it. No problem. We appreciate you. And you can follow us, uh, myself, at Javier Vague on Twitter, at Javier Vague underscore, excuse me, and then Matt at Matt Barr underscore, and, of course, the podcast at Fourth and Gold Podcast. And, uh, you know, until next week, or actually we'll be back after the game to review mm-hmm. hopefully a 49er win, um, being positive all the way through. Let's let's go Niners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> subscribe, rate, review. Until then, we'll see you. Peace.